reading, and I want to thank our worship team for that, that amazing song. Wasn't that such an encouragement? I know it was uh, to your life as well. There will be a day, and um, I think we could, uh, after that scripture reading and that song, we could just pray and dismiss, and our lives will be blessed and encouraged today, but we're not going to do that, um, but we really do appreciate it. Today we're beginning a new series of messages called The Story of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to, from his miraculous birth, to his healings, to his radical teachings, to his horrible crucifixion, and his supernatural resurrection. Certainly the story of Jesus Christ is a powerful and compelling story that, that captures our hearts and draws us to him in love and in worship. And we want to uh, develop that story, tell that story again for the blessing of each one of our hearts over these next several weeks. And, you know, stories in general are very powerful. Stories connect us to one another, to our past. They even connect us to universal truths. They engage our emotions and our imagination, and they, they help us through the telling of stories we process our own sorrows, and our own joys. And I remember with great fondness the stories that I've accumulated from my family growing up and through the years, whether it was on my dad's side of the family, he hearing about my grandfather, how he used to drive a, a, a rolling grocery store, a peddling truck uh, back, in, uh, those, uh, back in that day, or my, my mother's father, my Papa on my mom's side and how he literally traveled around the world on different adventures. And they truly bring meaning and structure to our lives. You know, I, uh, I remember telling my girls stories. You know, every night we would lay them down to bed and, and I would help lay them down and, and they would say, you know, well, first, when they were really tiny, I just started telling them stories. But it wasn't long until they caught on and, Daddy, tell me a story. And I would tell them a story about me, you know, some of the, the knucklehead things I did growing up as a boy. Or I would tell them some of those same stories that I had learned from my grandparents and from my dad. And, and, um, and then they would say, well, Dad, tell me another story. Tell me a, and then after that story, they would say, tell me another story. And it began this nightly ritual that, you know, after a while, it, you know, it was a little laborious for dear old dad. You know, coming up with new stories or just retelling the same story multiple times. But, you know, they never lost interest, and it, it almost felt like they were hearing them for the very first time. And that's the stories of the Bible in a similar way. They never grow old. They, they are always full of meaning, and they capture our attention and our hearts. And really, the telling of stories is as old as the human race itself. And the Bible really is a collection of stories bound together into one great continuous story, the story of God and his people. And that's really what we want to bring out over these next two months. The story, we're going to focus on not the whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible, but the story of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about how the story begins. And next week, we will look at Christ's early ministry, his baptism, and the temptation in the wilderness. And then after that, we're going to see Jesus and the people he knew. After that, we'll see Jesus and the lessons he taught. 
And then on Palm Sunday, it'll be more of an evangelistic service. We're going to talk about who is Jesus. And on Resurrection Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the triumph of the great servant king. And even the Sunday following Easter, we're going to see that the story continues on. And besides uh, coming yourself and being a part of these messages, we want to encourage you to invite others, especially thinking of the Easter season, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday morning. We have many special elements planned as a part of those services, and we would encourage you uh, to bring someone with you and to be a part of those services. We have some invite cards, and we're doing a lot of work to get the word out and to uh, reach out to our neighbors, and you can help us do that by uh, taking some of these invite cards and inviting friends and family. On the back are these three uh, special times of gathering, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and the Easter services as well. And on Easter Sunday morning, we've planned a very special reception, just a time to celebrate our risen Lord during our regular Bible class hour after this service, but before the second service, on that day, Easter Sunday morning, we're going to gather out in the family center and just enjoy one another's company, introduce our guests to one another, and just enjoy fellowship as we celebrate our risen Lord. So I hope that you can be a part of all of this and inc invite someone else to come, come be a part as well. We are uh, trying to get the word out. We, we actually sent out 5,000 postcards that are similar to these cards, but much larger, through all, to all of the homes around our church uh, property. And, and so we're hoping to have many guests on that, those days, and you uh, may uh, be sure to, to be on the lookout, and if you see folks you don't know, you see guests, be sure to welcome them. So that's a part of what we've got going on around here for springtime. But this morning, we're looking at how the story begins. And we learned in school that every story has a beginning, a middle, and the end. And you say, well, old Pastor Phil, I know the, the story of Jesus. I know that the story begins with Mary and Joseph and the, the baby in a manger. And, the, and, and that's how the story begins. We all know that. Really? Are you sure? Is that really how it begins? Oh, yes, there's shepherds and there's angels and, and all of that. Well... Let's look together and see if that's how it really begins. And to do that, we're going to turn in our Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I would encourage you, whether you're watching online or here in our worship center, if you would take your Bible and join us and, and look together at God's Word. And John, chapter 1, in the Black Pew Bible that's there in the book rack, if you would like to use that Bible, if it's easier for you, you can just turn to page 1,220, page 1220, and that's going to bring you to John chapter 1. And we're going to read here. Now, there's lots of uh, Johns in the Bible in the sense of books, you know, related to John. He wrote uh, the Gospel of John, his, his account of the story of Jesus, where we're looking this morning, but he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, right? The the, the epistles, the letters that he wrote there at, towards the very end of the Bible. And uh, you may be aware that uh, the Apostle John also wrote the book of Revelations at the very end of the Bible. 
And of course, uh, there was another John in the Bible, John the Baptist, who is a different person than the Apostle John. And here we're reading in the Gospel according to John, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read down here, down through here a few verses, beginning in verse 1. Listen to the eternal words of God, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, the Word was with God, but at the same time, the Word was God. That would appear to me to be uh, not an ex full expression of uh, the Trinity of God, but certainly uh, a reference or an allusion to it. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Through who? Through this one that is being called the word. Through him, through the word, uh, were made all things. And without him... Without this person that's already been called the Word, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Now let's drop down to verse 14, and we see the Word mentioned again, and it tells us something very telling about this same one who was with God, who was God, who was with God in the very beginning, and through whom all things uh, were made. It tells us something more about him in verse 14. Can you see it there in your Bible? It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, those are some very interesting scriptures here. Now, um, now we look at this and, and you say, well, this isn't how I remember the beginning of the Christmas story. Uh, the name Jesus isn't even mentioned in this passage. And the beginning of the story is Mary and Joseph, right? That Jesus was born in Bethlehem in about the year 4 B.C. Well, in one sense, yes. In one sense, that was one of the beginnings of this story. That was uh, the beginning of the Son of God when he came down to er from heaven to earth. The second person of the Trinity taking on human, a human body and a human nature. That was the beginning. Bethlehem was the beginning, uh, or more rightly, uh, the womb of Mary nine months before Bethlehem. That was the beginning of a human child named Jesus being born on this earth. But it was not the beginning of the Son of God, was it? Well, certainly not. Because the Son of God already existed prior to this birth story in Bethlehem. Indeed, prior to the creation story in Genesis, this Son of God already existed before time itself. In uh, studying the, the Christology, the, the theology of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we, we call this, we would call this the pre-existence of Christ. 
which means that before he became a man and walked on the earth, he already uh, was in existence as the second person of the triune Godhead, the preexistence of Christ. And, and our text tells us in verse 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word ultimately later became flesh in Bethlehem. Now that's interesting that he simultaneously was with God and was God. That really, you know, that couldn't be true for any of us in any way, right? You can't be uh, with your husband and at the same time be your husband. You can't be with your sister riding in the back seat of the car and at the same time be your sister. Ooh, that would be gross. Who would want to be their sister? So this is a strong hint at the Trinitarian nature of our God that that at least here we see two persons, two different persons, God the Father and God the Word, who we would later learn is God the Son, uh, one God, they're both God, but yet they are together as two different persons. And the, the second person, this word that was God, became flesh. He became a human being. Uh, the baby Jesus was none other than the second person of the triune Godhead, the eternal Son of God. So if we look at, at Mary and Joseph and this Bethlehem beginning, if we look at that beginning of the story, uh, what was it? If it wasn't the beginning of Jesus or it wasn't the beginning of this person, what was it the beginning of? Because what was it the beginning of? You know, it, 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 this is so different than you and I, and that's why we have to, you know, we have to try to understand it as best we can. Because when we were born, when we were conceived, that was our beginning. Uh, before that, we did not exist. You ever try to think of or talk about your parents and their life and their stories before you were born? And you try to think about that, that somehow they existed as a teenager and they they were little too growing up. It just, it's hard to imagine. Sometimes it feels kind of weird. You know, that there was a day when your parents got married to each other, but, but you were not there, right? You weren't a part of, you weren't invited to that wedding, generally speaking. It's hard to imagine because we didn't exist. But my friends, in a more powerful, in a more glorious way, it is even harder to comprehend that there never was a time when God did not exist. There was a time when we were not. But there has never been a time when God was not. And by God, I mean the triune Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead. They have always existed from eternity past then what was it that happened in Bethlehem? Or better yet, in the tiny womb of Mary nine months before Bethlehem. What was that the beginning of? Well, it was the beginning of God taking on a human body and a human nature. The Word 
did become something that it was not before. It became flesh. Now, th this is a mysterious, this is a mystery, and we tread lightly here, and we stand in awe and wonder at a God who loved us so much that he would stoop to become human. Now, don't be offended by that. <laughs> we think it's pretty fine to be human, right? <laughs> we think, you know, I, I don't want to be a cat. I, mean, I don't want to be a dog, and I certainly don't want to be a cat, Right? I, 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 I don't want to be a bug. I don't want to be a hamster in a cage. I don't want to be a bird, a parrot in a, you know, in a cage hanging in your living room. I, I don't want to be any of those. I don't want to be a worm. I've, I feel quite good about being human as <laughs> I'm just going to muddle through. But my friend, in an infinitely greater way, the condescension that God had to become human. He became something that he was not. And that now, think about that. Our God who does not change, who is immutable, in some way, in some sense, the second person of the Godhead changed. He became material. Material. He became matter. He took on flesh. Before that, he had been spirit, like the Father is spirit, like the Holy Spirit is spirit. And then he became flesh. That's why First Timothy, by, why First uh, Timothy three says, "Indeed, this is a great mystery. He was manifested in the flesh. God became human." The result is a baby growing in a young mother's womb and later lying in a feeding trough. And this baby simultaneously is the Lord God of the universe. Because he did not cease to be God in order to become human. That's something that we want to make sure is clear in our, in our understanding. This is, this, this is miraculous. This is uh, something that, that um, is singular and unique because... Uh, God, with all of his nature and all of his perfection, God the Son took upon him a human nature and a human body. So he was God, 100% God, and yet he was human, 100% human, two natures in one being, and that is the mystery. That's something that we cannot relate to. You know, when we think of someone becoming something else, even if we think of a miracle, we, we, we still think, you know, well, we think, of, we think of Ariel in, what is the movie? The Littlest Mermaid, right? Do you remember that? You don't know that story. Ariel had this, this crisis where she had to make a choice to, uh, she was the Littlest Mermaid, but she so much wanted to marry this prince, right? She cashed it all in. Girls don't do that. <laughs> she had to cease being a mermaid in order to become human. Not with God. The Son of God continued to be fully God while adding to that a human body and a human nature. One person, two natures. 
And, and really what he added also was he added the name Jesus. He, he was not Jesus before Bethlehem. He was God the Son. He was the Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity and, and a host of other titles that we see in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a few of those bef- if we don't run out of time. But he was not known as Jesus. The angel told Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, which, you know, is uh, not only was Mary pregnant, but that title is full also of meaning. Uh, Yeshua, Jehovah saves, Savior, his name, his very name describes his mission and purpose in coming into this world to be our Savior. And he became known as Jesus, the God-man. Theologians, and, and again, we cannot fully explain or fully comprehend what I am trying to explain and we're trying to comprehend. Uh, and theologians have sought to help us avoid the errors of going too far one way or the other. So they've made statements like, he was just as much man, he's 100% man and 100% God. Just as much man as if he were not God at all. And just as much God as if he were not man at all. Two natures, fully, completely two natures in one person. And he is that still today. He is, the, he is now, since Bethlehem, he became the eternal God-man. The perfect God-man. And again, this is mystery and this is wonder and this is motive to love him and to worship him. And aren't you glad today that you have a God that you cannot fully comprehend? I mean, if we could understand all of this, it, 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 he's infinite. He is beyond our capability to understand all of these things. You know, and, th- and that lack of ability to fully explain or understand, this might cause the skeptic to doubt. It call, causes the believer to worship. Even our best creeds only get close to this. The Athanasian Creed in 500 A.D., helping to clarify, again, to avoid the ditch on either side, they developed this statement, which is quite good. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, perfect God, perfect man, who although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, not by the conversion of the Godhead into flesh, like he left being God to become human, but rather by the assumption of manhood by God. He took upon himself a human nature and a human body. He did not become human and then cease to be God. He added humanity and a human body to who he already was, God. And this is the part that I can't think of without worshiping. 
And apparently, I worship with tears. I'm sorry for that. (laughs) Because in a great act of condescension, he came to us. He became like us. He became one of us. He became human with all of the limitations of a human body, yet without sin. He, became, he was weary, and he had to rest. He was hungry, and he had to eat. He, he, in Luke 2, where it continues the, the childhood story of Jesus, it says that he grew in wisdom. How can the God of the universe be hungry or be tired, the God who never sleeps nor slumbers, How can that God be tired and have to rest? Or how can that God experience these human limitations? But he did in his humanity. And what I want you to see is that he forever linked himself to the human race. And he did it for a redemptive purpose. He did that in order to save you and I. He condescended, and yes, he has ascended back to heaven. He is, has been exalted, and he is full of glory, and he reigns forever from the throne of heaven. And, and God the Father has given to his Son all glory and honor. But he did that because for this very reason that Jesus God the Son became human forever. That condescension he linked himself to us forever in order to be able to be the perfect sacrifice and to save us. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians though he was rich Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And it's not talking about material riches. To Jesus, it was a huge step down to become human. But for your sake, he did that so that you might take a huge step up. And he says, he said, this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. That was what began in Bethlehem, or more accurately, in Mary's womb, nine months before Bethlehem. He shall be called Jesus. But there's more. Are you familiar with the concept of a prequel? You know what a prequel is, right? It's it's the story before the story, right? (laughs) Well, uh, the story of Jesus has a prequel, right? There's a story before Bethlehem. There's a beginning before the beginning. And that's the the backstory. And we see that very clearly in verse 1 of our text when it says, In the beginning was the word in the beginning now let me think here 
I, I seem to recall there's something about that phrase. I've, I've heard it before, in the beginning. Where have I heard that before? Oh, yes. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now here we see that in that beginning, the word was there. God the Son was there at that beginning. And it says in verse 3, what was he doing there? You know, it wasn't like Jesus, the Son of God was just kind of sitting around uh, waiting his turn. You know, he was like on the on deck circle or in the, you know, waiting for, you know, the whole gospel story to, to start up. It wasn't like that. He was, he was at the very beginning of the story. I mean, the, the whole story, right? Back there in Genesis 1, he was there in verse 3, tells us that he was actively engaged and involved in that beginning. It says that all things were made through him, through the word, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, here is a, a wondrous mystery, because in verse 3, the word creates everything. He creates the world of matter and atoms and mo molecules and, and human flesh in verse 3. And then in verse 14, he actually becomes that flesh. The one who spoke the world into existence was, of course, God, but it was God the Son. Did you realize that? That's why Colossians tells us, Colossians 1, uh, 16 tells us, For by him, referring to Jesus Christ, by him all things that were created in heaven and on earth were created by him. All things were created through him, it says, and for him. And he is before all things, right? So he's, he's at that beginning, Genesis 1-1, but he's actually before that beginning. So he was there in order to create that beginning. And through him, Hebrews says that in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom... He, God the Father, appointed heir of all things and through whom, through Jesus Christ, God made the universe, it says. So God the Father, or God the Godhead, made all things and made the universe through the Son. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was the agent that was actively speaking and worlds were coming into existence. And so we see Christ active way back in the early pages, like the first page of the Old Testament. So this is what we would call the, the pre-Bethlehemic pre role of the Son of God, the pre-incarnate role role of the Son of God. And, and so we, we see this. This is like the prequel. And we continue, if you look through the Old Testament, you continue to see uh, God, the Son, all throughout the Old Testament, wherever, literally, essentially, essentially, everywhere you see God appearing in, in human form or, or perhaps even in visible form many times, that 
scholars would agree generally that that is the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, that is God the Son. He is the one who, who visi- visibly appears, who is visibly seen. And these we would call these uh, pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ. For example, Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 16, when God, uh, when Hagar was cast out and she was there with Ishmael and she was dying, they were actively in the process of starving and dying, and God appeared to her. And she said in Genesis 16, 13, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. And there he is appearing to a woman who had been outcast, who was looked down upon as not not legitimately married to Abraham. And he is with us. He is with us today when we are alone and abandoned by family. He sees us. He sees you. Then in Joshua 5, we could mention that he is the, the captain of our salvation, the commander of the army of the Lord who fights for us and fights on our side against our adversaries. If you know the story there in Joshua 5, when God appeared to, uh, appeared there as the, the commander of the armies of the Lord, or in Daniel 3, for example, there the Son of God was the fourth man in that fiery furnace when Uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were were cast into the fiery furnace and and, uh, because they would not bow down, because they would not uh, bend, they would not burn either, right? Because God was with them in the fiery furnace. And and, uh, they looked in and they said, I see four men and the fourth man is like unto the Son of God. My friend, when you and I are persecuted, when you and I go through fiery trials, then uh, we know and we can be assured in, of the promise that God is with us in those moments. But wait a minute. Uh, there's a prequel. You see, Christ pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnation, actively involved in the Old Testament. But what do you call the prequel to a prequel? I don't know. If you know, let me know. I mean, they do exist, right? There's like a a prequel, and there's like this origin story, and there's like the prequel to a prequel. I mean, they'll figure out a way to make a movie, right? It doesn't matter. They're just going to. There's a prequel to the prequel. There's another beginning. This is the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ, and it begins in Bethlehem in one sense. God the Son became human flesh. But then it begins in Genesis 1 in another sense that Christ, uh, the Son of God, obviously already existed. And we see him active in the Old Testament. But then he's the eternal God. And so before there ever was a Bethlehem or a Mary or a Joseph, before there ever was a Joshua or a Hagar, or before there ever was a Genesis 1-1, before, my friend, there was a heaven or before there was an earth, before the angels in eternity past, there was God. 
And there was God, and it was God alone. But it was God in his triune personhood of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There, uh, completely uh, together in harmony, in unity, and in relationship, and in fellowship, there was nothing else, and that didn't matter to them. They need nothing else. The Godhead is completely self-sufficient, in need of nothing, and they were there in eternity past. And according to their own divine purposes, they established an eternal plan for the world before there ever was a world, before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. And, and, and then they had developed that plan in eternity past. And then the Bible says uh, in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, right? When the time was right, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. Born under the law, born Jewish, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. We're, we're guilty. We're condemned by the law of God. We are under the burden and the condemnation of the law. And so they, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, my friend, can you praise him today? Can you give him glory today? Can you thank him for his uh, infinitely wise and wonderful and beautiful plan of redemption? Let's bow together for prayer. Just with our heads bowed. Just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder if there's anyone here today that uh, does not know Christ as your Savior. Well, my friend, there's a God who loves you, who, in order to provide for your forgiveness and to provide for you the gift of eternal life, he gave himself, he came himself into this world as Jesus Christ, and he gave himself in sacrifice so that you can be forgiven. He paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. And he rose again, and he is alive today, and he is the Savior. And he loves you, and he comes to you, and he says, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself or anything. I am God, and I love you, and I want to forgive you, and I want to make you my child, I want to adopt you into my family and give you the gift of eternal life. Oh, my friend, it is the most important decision that you could ever make in your life. And perhaps you've heard the salvation story m a multitude of times. But have you personally, in your heart of hearts, opened up your, your heart in faith and then asked him to come into your life and meant it with all of your heart? Just be my Savior, dear God. Be my, be my Savior, my King, my Forgiver, and my God.
Have you ever done that? Would you do that right now? And perhaps there's others, and this is relatively new to you. Well, my friend, it, it begins by believing in Jesus Christ, that he is God, and that he walked on this earth, and that he died for your sins, and that he rose again, and that he will forgive you, and he will make you his child if you ask him to. And for all of the rest of us, would you unite your heart with mine in worship right now? Our Father God, our dear Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you today. In all of your mystery and your wonder and your glory, we give you thanks and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.